Welcome to I Love My Club By with me, your host, Seamus Barry, the podcast that gives you the insight into our local games of hurling and camogie. Join us as we take a look at some of the characters around the county on I Love My Club By. Welcome to episode four of I Love My Club, the podcast that brings you closer to our local games about hurling and camogie. This week, I have the very, the very special, the one and only Peter Queeley from Ballydurn. Of course, Peter has played for Waterford. He's played for his own club. He also had a stint down in Cork previously. Uh, he was part of the uh, 2002 team that won the very famous Munster title for the first time in, in 39 years. Just looking through his, uh, his role of honours, Peter's a Railway Cup in 2000. I suppose he played in 2001. Um, he's a Munster Junior Football Championship in 1999. I was only seven. It shows how old he is. He's a junior All-Ireland Football Championship medal also and a Munster Senior Hurling Championship, which I mentioned in 2002. Looking at Peter's managing career, uh, I suppose the very famous win in 2013 with Passage, securing their first ever senior title. And since then, he's brought numerous clubs in Waterford and also won a championship in, in Cork Intermediate with Yall. He's brought mo- numerous teams into final in, in Waterford and he's probably renowned as one of the best club managers in Waterford in the past decade. Peter, very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Milos. Appreciate that. That was a very uh, glowing tribute there. Thanks very much. I, I said I had to give it, of course, uh, given your uh, synonymous history with passage over the years. Yeah, um, that was a sweet one, all right. In fairness, uh, just one that will live long in the memory. Um, I suppose it's special for yourself, I suppose, being part of it. And, you know, it was an epic journey that year that culminated in that famous win. It surely was, and there's obviously, of course, on the the podcast here. I love my club. By um, we're looking to to get the stories behind the scenes, and and when I suppose you started first was uh, was hurling or Gaelic football because you would have played both, of course. Was hurling or Gaelic football from a young age involved in your own family, or how did you go about getting interested or involved in GA? I'm sure the the whole enthusiasm came from my dad. My dad was just he just loved the like you know and went to every game. He played a bit with with uh, Ballydoran Newtown as well in his day. Um, but really, it kind of stemmed from there. And the school with uh, with a school principal in Newtown, Seamus Fitzgerald, I was big into to GA. He would have been a footballer with Ballinacorty, um, so there would have been a dual aspect to our, our school days, you know, in relation to hurling and football. And I suppose uh, I, I'm grateful too to the, the the lads over at St. Mary's. I started up the underage. It's only when I was about 10, I'd say maybe 1980, 81, 82, that St. Mary's was uh, uh, started up. You know, it was that was underage for Kill, Bumahan and Newtown. And it was Father Condon and a few more were driving forces there. And, you know, it was ideal for me then to, to play hurling and football with St. Mary's uh, at underage and kind of went from there then. And uh, that's where the interest started and the the, the dual side of it, you know, I, I wouldn't say I, I, I was overly um, more fond of hurling or at a young age. I, I equally liked sport. I was reading a book recently, which actually, it's a funny one because when you see, I suppose we we put inter-county players on, on pedestals and nowadays there's so much more access and you get to see behind the scenes with social media and so on. But I was reading a book recently that said, you said yourself, and um, you were quoted saying that you weren't the greatest hurler, or your skill level wasn't the highest, but you you were aware of that and that made you work harder. That, that That's um, a strange revelation to make about yourself. 
Well, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not something you'll get with me is honesty. Like, you know, it's... Um, I wouldn't have been the most skillful. Now, I, if the truth be told, I was I was a lot more skillful footballer. You know, if uh, uh, football came more naturally to me, you know, it was uh, and I enjoyed playing it. And I would have started off playing senior for Warford at nineteen. You know, it was and, and probably did so for a first up up until I was about 22, 23. and there was a kind of a couple of years there of an overlap where trying to do both. And just decided maybe 94, 95, you know, when I was starting to get a few bit more game time at the hurlers that I would uh, concentrate on that. And But at that stage at 24, 25, and you're playing both, I probably did miss out a lot on the on the skills of hurling, you know, and I had to put in a lot of work at that stage in, in ball alleys and stuff, you know, to to improve on, on, on the skill side of it. And like, obviously on that, in recent years, it's, it's dying out. We can all see it. I think Owen Cadigan was the last one with Cork, both football and hurling, or Aidan Welch even. Um, is is that something that kind of you're sad to see in a sense, or do you think, obviously being involved in management, that it's just not possible to play both anymore? It's just not possible. Uh, pure and simple. Definitely at Inter-County, but what I've noticed in the last year, two years, is uh, it's creeping into club, which that is sad now. You know, I, I must admit that. And where where the perfect example of that is Kilmacud Croaks, who won both. And they've done the double now a couple of times. But I noticed they didn't have any dual players. And that that wasn't by chance, you know, because if you look at it, their football on their football team, they have Rory O'Carroll and Ross O'Carroll. They played Hurling for Dublin. Mm. You know, so surely they, uh, they're only about 31, 32. Surely they could play both. But obviously they've... You know, they, they, there's some policy there that they, they, they were told to pick one. Now, they'd have huge numbers and they can do that. But I, I wouldn't like to see it uh, creep in. I, I think it's not sustainable at uh, Inter-County. Definitely not. Yeah. I see it that, would like, be you see a lot more Castellani, sure. They, I think they had only three players that didn't play both. Yeah. yeah they're, they're a small area. That was an amazing achievement yeah. to, to where they got. Um, yeah. go, going on from that then, you came into, you said there, you started playing senior football at Waterford when you were you're 19. When did you make your breakthrough with the senior hurlers? Um, I suppose it's a bit uh, infamous now at this stage. 1995 would have been my uh, my breakthrough and was a, uh, how would you put it? It was a fairly uh, uh, um Strange way of making your breakthrough, you know. I would have met a lot of headlines back at the time because um, uh, Tony Mansfield and Peter Power and uh, Joey were Joey Carton were over the team, and you know we played Tipperary. I didn't make starting lineup, but I came on at half time, and we we're getting fairly well beat, beat by Tipperary. But unfortunately, I was out in the middle of the field that day. Um, you know, uh, a game that kind of passed everyone by, not just myself. You know, we're well beaten, but I think with 10 minutes to go, a bit of a melee took place in behind the goal and just something that rang in my ears leading up to that game. I can't remember which one of the lads in the management team said, like, if that happens here, like, one in, all in, like, so. And I made a beeline into the row and got stuck in it and uh, got into a lot of trouble. Um, something that made the headlines in the papers, unfortunately, because... The guards, I was just uh, in Templemore, trained to be a guard at the time. The superior there took a dim view of it. 
and I ended up um, being double disciplined. You know, I got suspended from the GA and I got suspended in the guards and wasn't allowed to pass out. So it wasn't the best of uh, debuts by any means, but uh, that was that was my first uh, taste of championship or reward. What like on that right? Because for people aren't aren't aware, what's your rank in the guards at the moment, Peter? Uh, guard. <laughs> okay, so no, perfect. So you're it's, a guard, yeah, it's right? A guard. I'm a community guard in, in your community guard. Perfect. So like yeah. with that, on, in terms of a GA pitch, whether it's football or hurling or camogie or you know handball or athletics, whatever the side of GA it is, if an incident happens, like you seen the Tyrone Armagh match where five players were sent off and it's right up against the railing. Like, what's your opinion on, like you said, you got double punished. Like, if it's on a field, should it not be left on a field? Now, I understand if there's gross bodily harm caused, but if it's just a melee or a fight in a match, should that not be left on a field and the GA deal with it? Uh, if it's a melee and there's no malicious damage, yes, which that was, like, it was a melee and there was no one hurt around, like, you know, but... um. The other one is a little bit more delicate where there's uh, where there is serious injury. You know, I, I think I spoke to you off air about a very promising young hurler here in, in Morford who was uh, very badly injured at the weekend in an off the ball incident. And even though we don't like to see it, you know, there is a, a, a case if you want to nip this in the bud that maybe it needs to go further, like you know, where where someone where someone just turns around and decides to use their offensive weapon. You know, which it is a hurley, uh, and and do a lot of damage to an opposing player. Like you know, you know, is that something that can be just left under, you know, to a, a, the, the the powers of the GA and a suspension while somebody lays in hospital recovering from a serious injury? You know, so it think, is a, it is a delicate uh, subject. You know, yeah, I think that's yeah. the one. I think when it crosses the line to, to obviously serious yeah. injury, it, it needs to be yeah. assessed then by other authorities. Um, mm-hmm. On that authorities and I suppose the rules and stuff like that, you've been a manager, you've been a player, um, you know, you've been involved in inter-county setups, um, both as a selector and as a player. What what do you make of respect towards referees within GA hurling and Gaelic football? Um, obviously, everyone knows I have great exposure at the moment, given the the family ties to to refereeing at the moment. But what I see is shocking. What what what's it from your point of view as a manager? First of all. I won't lie to you I, I get frustrated you know I do I do get frustrated I get very much carried away I, I think I've improved you know I do I do know I was very hot-headed in the earlier days of uh, being on the sideline and stuff and would have crossed the line and and, and you know got on to referees I, I'd like to think I've improved you know I, it, uh, it is testing at times you don't you do you do get involved preferably if I had my way, I prefer to sit in the stand and, and, and take myself away from that because when you get involved with a referee, you're losing your focus. You're not doing your job properly, you know. But going back to the respect for referee, I do know, and I don't know if you remember it, uh, Milos, like we played the Mollerins tournament, uh, the first round of the Mollerins tournament, 2013, roughly Marchish, you know, it would have been may, maybe February, March, whatever it was. And Michael O'Brien was ref in the match. And I said from an early stage, I, I, you know, I'd been involved in teams for maybe uh, 10 years up to that. I made a conscious decision that time, you know, that we'd work on our respect for the referees. Now, if the truth be told, like, I wanted to gain something for us out of it. Like, I felt if we were more respectful, we would get 
more decisions going our way like and I do think we did get uh, you know the rub of the green at times in relation to decisions all year because we did push it and I know refs did comment on it like you know that they weren't they weren't gotten onto as much they weren't abused as much by players and it, it does you know it's great to get that feedback afterwards to say you know I geez, I have to admire the way the, the lads their discipline was like when a ref comes and says that to you know so there is a lot to be gained from from a management point of view for promoting it, you know, in terms of, you know, a ref coming up and saying that and maybe marginal decisions kind of, you know, going with you and stuff. So it's, it's interesting. that's where I become. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, like, I have no problem saying it. Bally Guller, uh, regardless of what the decision is, if, for example, say if Philip Manny, Paulie Manny gives away a free, drop the ball, move straight away, never respond back to the referee. Always asking the referee, have they enough time? Always offering them water at halftime before the match. Always chatting to them. I've never heard an official. Now, I'm not just saying it because it's Bally Gunner and they win everything, but I've never heard him abuse a referee, one of the players. Yeah, look, it's obviously something that you have to work on. Like they, they've, they're obviously promoting it. That doesn't just happen by chance. Like you know, it is, it is something, and it's a respect for. Not alone for the referee, but they're respecting one another by all buying into it. You know, because one fell across the line, you know, it breaks the conference of everyone else. Like you know, and uh, I suppose it is something I'd like to see promoted more uh, or done more is uh, going down the rugby line because I, I I like watching soccer, but I I for the life of me I can't understand how referees listen to what they listen to. You know, it's, it just it's 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 just madness. But the point you made about sitting in the stand, I agree with you there. Like I've I've always said this. Um, mm. A lot of time, like if you reference, say, managers in the past 10 years, Davy Fitz, for example, um, Brian Cody. Mm. Now, Bri- now, Brian gets excited, obviously, but Liam Sheedy, they get too involved in games sometimes. And regardless mm. of who you are, whether you're the best manager in the world, when you're looking at something front on and you're, you're in a red rage of an incident that just happened, mm. you're no good to the team because you're not taken clearly and you're too involved in the game. You're better off up the stand giving instructions to someone, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, and you know it's, it's it's much better for the the blood pressure too. I'll tell you, you know. So. <laughs> and like on, on the rug, on the rugby point, I agree with you. I believe it should be just the mm. captain. It should be a captain's approach. Um, I was at the Bally Sagar De La Salle relegation uh, game last year. I don't know if you're at it. And no. the actual the, the referee you brought up um, uh, from 2013, Michael O'Brien Pucky, he was actually doing the game, and he got some abuse that night from both sides like yeah. and you could hear it like it was a it was what would you say it was in the middle of coming to the end of summer in the, in the night time so mm. and you're still in COVID time so there wasn't much activity around Dungarvan you could hear everything being said on the pitch and it was good yeah. good crowd at it but like for young and this is the way I look at it I know people will say you're kind of nitpicking but I've seen a lot of underage games in the last couple of years both being involved in passage and doing some uh, officiating and if you stop it at that level, it does not go through. But the problem is, and I'm not going to blame one particular group. It's not just parents because everyone just blames parents. It's the coaches, it's the clubs, it's the parents. But if a, a child mm. under eight or under nine is at a game and the manager curses, that's just setting the wrong example. And I think the best way to deal with that, regardless if it's a manager, a parent or a player from, say, minor down, any ill-disciplined language towards your, towards a manager, uh, an official, or an opposition player, or your own player. Because, again, you talked about the, the Bally Gunner thing, about having respects for yourselves. And, like, sometimes you mm-hmm. do need to, you know, give a fella an LM 
what would you say, a, a stern talking to, but any cursing underage, straight red, regardless of who you are. I think it's the only way you kick it out. Yeah, it, would, it, would. it certainly needs to be addressed from a, from an early age and not not promoted, like, you know, which which is what you're kind of hinting at there, like, you know. Yeah, like the, the funny one for me is, right, I'll give you an example and you can, you can dissect this a bit. If I make a mistake as a player and you're my manager, what are you going to say to me? Next ball, like. Exactly. Okay, change yeah. it up. I'm, I'm a referee. You're the manager. I make a blatant mistake in front of you. What's the first thing you're going to do? Corsage. <laughs> and that's it. And like, yeah. and that's the other side of it, the, the person in the middle. And again, I, I'm coming from more of a biased view in the last couple of years, given my brother being at inter-county level now and kind of the, the level that he's refereeing at. But... It's just absolutely shocking. Like the the a goalkeeper could drop the ball in all Ireland final, and people say, you know, one one um one match incident doesn't affect the outcome. But a referee makes one bad decision. He's still a human being, or she's still a human being at the end of the day. But they get absolutely slaughtered. And I think the only way to change that is to take away a few elements. I was talking to Shawnee Barry previously. You take away the timekeeping, you take away the scorekeeping, and you take away the yellow and red cards that the referee has to write down who got him. And you have a fourth official do it all, and you're connected by earpiece. There's a lot. There's a lot you could do as well, though. Uh, you know, there's uh, one thing I found great was I actually refed a match once. You know, just uh, there was no one. There was no. It was a football game over in in Bumahan and I refed it. It's a great experience. You know, even though it's a tough experience, you would learn a lot from it. Like you know, and. It gives you a different perspective in relation to what you're talking about and getting on to it. Because even that night, like I just remember a few fellas getting on to me, like, and I was only stood in, like, I'm fucking saying to myself, I don't need to listen to this, like, you know. And now you, you have the power as well, which I think is very important for a referee to use, like, you know, and not to be taking it either, like, you know, you need, you need to nip it in the bud from an early stage. I think that's it and, as well. Uh, you, look, you look at some referees, obviously, Fergal Horn. It's a very famous clip. Um, it was, I think, was it Tipperary against Watford? Or it was Tipperary against it was Watford against someone anyway. And uh, Barry Coughlin was playing fullback. And he, not really enough of an incident, but something happened. And uh, Fergal Lohan went in. It was on a documentary in RT. And Barry says, oh, he's trying, yeah. yeah, Barry says he's trying to get me sent off. And Fergal Lohan says, you're not even booked. There's only two minutes gone. Give over, will you? So, and I, I've seen it in recent years at both club level. Players are becoming, and you're a manager, and you could maybe give us an insight on this. You're telling your players to do everything within the laws, in a sense, to win a game. And you see Kilkenny over the years playing on the edge of that. Players now are, even when they're guilty, they're lying straight to referees' faces. They're, like you said, soccer is creeping in, fellas jumping on the ground, putting their body in the way, winning a free. It's such a hard thing to be doing, refereeing. It is. I agree with you, and it's actually a big bugbear of mine. Is um, freezing cards given out on reactions of players? Mm. You know, and even I remember just even going back a good bit, even just uh, club games, and a fella might miss time a tackle, and if you you know pre helmets even like, yeah, if you nick the fella and he ends up getting cut, he got yellow card, maybe red card even like where's. You know, if you had a helmet on, you wouldn't even be been a free like, and it's just on the reaction of what happens. And we've seen a few examples of it this year. You know, I, 
And I think, is that promoting simulation? I, I don't think it is, but it, it is. It is. It is. It is. It is, a, it is a tough one, like you know. And it is because obviously now with COVID, uh, you know, touch wood, to- the talks of COVID are gone, and obviously the mask mandate is coming in from next week. But like, if I'm a referee, regardless of who I am, whatever level I'm doing, whether I'm doing a junior, the lowest ranked junior, or uh, an underage game, and there's 200 people there, and like you said, say I go up for the ball and you pull. And there's no malice and maybe your hurley slips up my hand, you know, letters me across the hand. And the crowd starts shouting. And the player that got hit is now on the ground screaming, ah, ref me hand. Well, straight away, I'm going to think, right, based on his reaction, the crowd's reaction, I'm going yeah. to have to send this fell off. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, that's... That's the that's the, the the tricky one in relation. Another well, another one of the tricky scenarios that refs find themselves in, like you know, is what action to take based on the reaction of you know the player that was uh, hit or the crowd or whatever it is, like you know. So it's. Um, I I think the point you made is very good about you know doing a ref in a game. I think the other way is brilliant as well. Like a lot of the times, um, you look at referees and. Sometimes there are people that were behind the scenes in their own club, but I think it's better off, and it's not a requirement, but if you actually played or played some level mm-hmm. where you have a better understanding, like you said, where you, someone might yeah. see a smack and say, Jesus, that was wicked, and you're like, I actually played the game. That's not that bad, I can tell you now. Mm-hmm. It just sounds a lot worse than what it is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know it. And look, it, it helps with uh, respect too. Like, you know, I, I think... Uh, Players, especially elite players, like will respect the fellow more, like if uh, you know they know that they played at a at a decent level. Like. Yeah, it's 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 of course it's a topic that you could debate all, all night long. Moving on, uh, there's there's a couple of aspects and there's one really exciting one that I want to talk to you about. And of course, we we said earlier that you you've uh, you've you've been a guard for a number of years now, and um, down in Yall as a community guard and. Uh, you've gone back in recent times, um, and I, I want to ask you first of all, uh, why did you go back to college before we get into what you've done? Uh, so I could retire. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like I have an option, you know. That's that's part of the guys. Like you can uh, do your thirty years and um, retire. Uh, you know, if I join, if you join at twenty and you've thirty years and you retire at fifty, which to me is quite young to be doing nothing. Like, yeah, I joined at twenty, so I can retire in a couple of years. I'm in fifty-three, and again, I just felt like, um, you know, that's too young to 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 be uh, smoking the pipe and reading the newspaper every morning. But uh, going back to the original point, uh, you know, I could actually stay on till I'm sixty. But at this stage now, I just have I, I have enough of kind of on social hours and nights and work and Christmas and, uh, and and shift work and what have you. So I felt uh, coming up to retirement a few years ago, you know, uh, I'd like to retire, but I'd like to still be doing something. So I suppose one of the things that appealed to me was, and it came through the community uh, police and stuff. I, I go into schools and I give talks on drugs and alcohol. So I looked at different uh, courses around the place. I saw a nice diploma course up in um, UL, a drugs and alcohol addiction uh, course. So I did that. It was quite intense for a year, uh, very educational. And um, it was very broad now as well. You know, so I kind of, when I was finished, I was like, Jesus, what, what good is this to me now? Like, you know, yeah. It's great. I did it and I got a lot of knowledge. But what am I going to do with it? And uh, I suppose one of the modules that stuck out was um, around the cures and stuff for addiction. 
And one of the main cures for addiction is psychotherapy, like to go to a, a counselor or a therapist. Yeah. So again, I Googled that and found a good course up in CIT, a psychotherapy course there. It's a four-year degree course. And I did a year of it uh, and I found it quite heavy, very rewarding and very good. I'm glad I did it, uh, but it's not something I wanted to carry through, you know, counselling. It, it is quite heavy and there is a lot of work that you have to do on yourself and stuff. So I did a year of that and just felt I would have preferred not to be raking over the past with people, you know, in a counselling scenario, yeah. maybe look to the future. And that's where coaching came into it. The difference in coaching and uh, and therapy would be, therapy kind of looks back on your past, whereas coaching is kind of building for the future, you know, and, and, and setting targets and, and, and working on people's strengths and how they can, um, you know, say uh, the one I did was health and well-being coaching. So people that are in addiction that got out of it, you know, what are they going to do now? Yeah. You know, so they, they sit down with a health and well-being coach and they plot out and, and, and talk about what they want to do in the future and make plans and targets and goals and what have you, you know. And I suppose the thing about the coaching course I did then last year is, you know, it's again, it's quite broad and it's something I actually use in row more and use, you know, I had one-to-ones with lads and I got them to set targets and goals and, you know, they, they do the talk and I just listen, you know, and they and I ask them like, okay, your, your target is to improve on this part of your game. How are you going to do it? And, you know, what time frame are you putting that? What will you do? How are you going to commit to that? And that's a kind of a, a general synopsis of coaching. And I hope to, I would like to do a little bit of that as well as the health and well-being side of it, you know, maybe performance coaching. You know, it's just... Uh, there's a young snooker player in Yon and I'm going to do a bit with him and stuff. So I find that quite interesting to sit down with somebody and, and go through their targets and their goals and how they how they set about them and stuff like And I know a good guy that I uh, I, I, I um, got a bit of info from and had a few chats with as well as Shane Sullivan. He's, he's, he's excellent at that and he's a great business going and has worked harder too. You know? So he's a guy that I will sit down with in the future before I retire and get some ideas of him as well. Like. Yeah, Shane, Shane has been in, in in the company I work in before. He's great to, to listen to. Um, just yeah. like without getting too off topic, how do you find the time to do all this? Because <laughs> like I, I I know you, I know you now nine nine years, right? Coming up nine years, ten years, and no matter what it is, you always have something on. Um, I I know your mm-hmm. wife personally. I know the two lads. Like yeah. between between family guards. Hurling, college, you all, and can, I, can, I, can I throw one more into the mix there? We're building a house at the moment. That, ah, is, look, the that is the biggest nightmare going. Just give me all the others together and I, I get on grand. But this house is doing my head in. The one, like, and that's the thing I, I really want to reiterate here is like, I've known you all that time, regardless. I've had obviously my own issues and in terms of health wise with, with sport and uh, obviously I've had my own mental health issues over the years and regardless of what it is that's the one thing that and I, I was only speaking to some of the passage lads that you would have of course trained over your period of passage and they always said it that you always give people time and that's something that I was talking about before I launched the podcast um, on the news and star is my nanny always said and of course I'll come to that in a second a uh, woman that you knew is that giving your time is the easiest thing to give to someone yeah that's true yeah look I, 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 I've seen it in the community policing side of things like you know it's just 
Like it's a it's a great number to have in the guards, like as community policing, because you're working with people, you know. Whereas be, before becoming a community guard, I was working against people. <laughs> you know, it's probably a lousy way of putting it, like you know. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you're going out and you're catching people for speed or whatever it is. You know, you become a community guard and you're actually working with people. You're going to visit the elderly and talk to them. And what I found from that was is, is just to give you one example. Like this woman came up to me and says. Any chance you call up to me, me, me uncle there, he's he's ninety five. He's a cranky old bastard, you know. And <laughs> well, I'm just putting you in the picture now. He says, you know, and he just likes a bit of company and stuff. And he won't take his medication. He won't lock his door. And you just have a chat with him. So I went up with him anyway, and he was sitting there in the window, and he looked kind of sorry, all right. And I said, Jesus, here goes. I go in anyway, and I talk to him. He was the most interesting guy you'll ever meet. Like he spent forty years in America, and he went through it, and he was telling me about it, his life story, and. Like someone who's 95 has a lot to tell, like, you know, and yeah, like he's poor niece or whatever that sent me up, probably never asked him all these things or never sat down and spoke to him. But, you know, it's amazing how he, she had this concept of him. Yes, you sit down and talk to him like he's the most interesting guy and all he wants to do is a bit of company and a chat and stuff like, you know, so with, with, everyone with, has a story to tell. Everyone has a story to tell and, and the, like, again... I, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel when it comes to, you know, topics and ideas here in the GA, but I've seen it over COVID and passage as well. And it's some, it's really interesting that you just said that because the GA's role within a community, um, like you're from a rural place, Ballydurn, I'm from a rural place, Passage. Do you think, yeah. like, you could get maybe teams involved? I know teams have a lot on and a lot of time-wise, but say, like, the off-season from October to February when the colder months and darker months come in, like that going to someone's house was 95 and just doing something for a neighbour. Do you think we could, because I've recently been in, um, I, I've worked with Make-A-Wish and I, I've recently started working with Alone and they're trying to recruit more and more people. And it's exactly what you said. You go sit with someone in a house, maybe for an hour or two, you check mm. in with them once a week. Do you think we could be doing more? We could do more, but having said that, we are doing a lot yeah. You know, the, um, yeah, um, we, we like you know yourself, it's it's when the need is greatest that they kind of rally around, you know. Just take like, an example of uh, you know, a club member dying or something like you know, that's when that's when the GA community really kicks in and rallies around and supports, like, and, yeah. You know, I, I saw it with my own uh, sister and, and father, like, you know, the, the, the help that we got around the GA club. And I'll be honest, like, we give out about our own GA club, myself and my father, as much as we praised him, like, you know. And I just remember when my sister passed away, he said, look, you know, all are given out. He said, look, look what they did for us in the last uh, number of days. Like, you know, the, the organising, the work and the volunteer and the support and everything that they gave us. And he just said, you know, I could see in him like, you know, he's not, he's not, he wasn't a man for rich on praise and talk like, but it just meant so much to him. Like, and we would have, like I said, we would have given out a lot about the G and club and stuff, but it was all at home to him then, like, you know, so. It's, and then yeah. you look at the times, you, you, you see it yourself, as, you know, different tragedies uh, in passage and that, like. It is. It's it's um it's unique. I was only literally like this takes me back. I was talking to someone recently. I, I covered a course the Bally Gunner, Bally Hale, all are in final, and someone said to me the usual stuff. Roar, um, rivalry between Pasture Bally Gunner. How do you feel going up and all that? And it exactly comes back to what you said. We lost uh, a member of our own management team a couple of years back, 
and like one of the first couple of lads down to the house were the Valley Gunner lads and just mm-hmm. everything is yeah. put to one side you know um and that's yeah. it, it's brilliant in the GA and I I've uh, my boss in work he's a man he loves rugby and he's from Kilkenny and strangely not no interest in hurling but never never played around like that and he always says to me like the GA is like a cult in a sense and you hear different things but in actual fact when you you talk about this and you talk about community spirit um, you know the game's being televised now on, on online and elderly people get to see him if they're not mobile it, it's actually as much as we're both involved in it it's a great organisation to be a part of 100% minus, you know it is like and you mentioned cult and you know the social side of it like you you know my eldest lad Richie like you know and uh, like Richie never played any sport or GA like uh, going up like you know but he got a fierce interest in it in the last couple of years came to all the games like and he, he's turned uh, 18 this year you know so he can play adults and he couldn't wait to go down to the to the Valley Darn uh, training sessions and be part of it. Like, and that, that's what it was. Like, he just, you know, for him, like, uh, this this was it. Like, this was his social acceptance. Like, you know, he, he was waiting to to become part of uh, the, 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 the club and to socialise and train and just be part of it. Like, a, it's nearly kind of an acceptance. Like, this is a group now that I know I can go down. And I'll be accepted and I'll be part of this group and part of this association. Like, you know, and it's you, you'd see it in him, like the difference in the last couple of months since he since he joined it, joined in and stuff. And you think obviously with that, there's like I've I've always said it, regardless of if you're you know, if you're Peter Queeley or you're Millhouse or you're Seamus Barry, whoever you are, regardless what your level is, there's always a role for you within a GEA club, whether you're good at finance, good at organization, mm-hmm. if you want to be a referee, like I think that's what we really need to highlight that. Yes, 100% uh-huh. when the All-Ireland final is on and Noel Connors goes out to represent Passage or Owen Kelly, that's absolutely brilliant. But at uh-huh. the same time, it's all about the people that, like the likes of my uncle, uh, Paul Barry, that runs the Junior B team. Like he, he, A funny story, he was trying to get players for a game one day and he actually rang someone and they said, where are you? And he said, is there any chance you could be in town for a match at half six? He said, I can't, I'm in the Lebanon. I'm on duty. <laughs> like, like, you know, yeah. like the, it is great and you always will have the, the pinnacle of them one or two to get through. But the lifeline of clubs is the like the people in the background. Like for us, for example, um, Anne-Marie Fitzgerald does absolutely savage work in the background. Um, of course, her own daughter, mm-hmm. Aoife, was bet unfortunately by St. Rhinus in the Camogie All-Ireland semi-final last weekend, just gone. But like these people in the background, Anita Quillen over the years, my own mother, Orla Bulger, there's so many people. Of course, the man we both know famously is Lele, Ray Barry, with both my own club and your club in, in latter years. Like, there's so many people in the background. And, like, but the, the, I'll give you a perfect example, Milo. Sorry for cutting across you now. I'll give right. you a perfect example when you're on that. Uh, George Henderson. Yeah. Like, yeah, myself, yeah. Myself, and, myself and Liam Carey were looking at somebody that wouldn't get involved halfway through the season in 2013. Do you know anyone that will get involved? We, we need someone else in the background. And we just remember George from being at the matches and being a supporter. We asked him along and she just hasn't looked back since. And he would tell you, he's done, he's, he's done a lot of publicity work, you know, about his former addiction problems and stuff. And it was the makings of him being asked along and being involved and he just lives for it. He loves, he loves it. So he does. It, it's mad because obviously, like, I, I love George. I get on brilliantly with George. Um, you know, George and my brother are quite close as well. And in recent times, obviously after George, Edward Mullen, Mully, of course, got involved. 
and like he's the same like you know he don't he doesn't play sport yeah. but he lives and breathes yeah. for match days and even True, yeah. even Nicky said it to me recently like he was like I have to get back and more involved with the club whether it's with a team yeah. or just playing junior B on goal or something because I just miss that yeah and there's like, a George and a Molly in every every club to be to be honest with you probably you know there is a Shawnee Barry brought it up the last day as well but mm. on, on, on that like when players retire because Intercounty just seems like you have to be 25 and retire nowadays it's getting shorter and shorter it's crazy um, yeah. but when, when players come to an end with their club in terms of say senior intermediate whatever it is at adult level is there is there a point to be made that we should follow the route of soccer and have an over 35s now I know people will have an argument junior A junior B junior C I played junior A two years ago and the water from minor captain was playing full back so forget about <laughs> saying old fellas are playing junior because they're not yeah uh. It's a hard one because, you know, you could have played us and uh, if you were full forward, you would have more than likely been 12 or 13 years younger than the band that was full back. Because <clears throat> we, we have Andy Hubbard who's still hurling at 46. <laughs> no, so... Well, you call a hurling, I don't call a hurling. Now. I've seen Andy in action. <laughs> I'll be careful now, Millers. You could be marking him again this year, but he's back again, so... Go ahead, he's back. Yeah. I, oh, I'm... he's back, yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I do? If if we get Ballydurn in the group stage, I'll play Junior B. <laughs> <laughs> so look, uh, I see where you're coming from, but you know, with, with clubs like our, our own one now that would be struggling for numbers, like uh, retiring before you're 35 isn't an option. <laughs> you know, you just if you could still hurl, you're hurling with the first team, like you know. So what about what if you went um, and like? Obviously, we're we're near we're the same in a sense. Only recent years our numbers have transformed, but in a sense of instead of being a Ballydurn plane, say it would nearly be an area. Like for example, the Barony of Galtier would have a team, or it's not to run off a championship. It's just lads might train once a week, get together, fellas from Romore, Passage, Ballygunner, Mount Sign that are between say the ages thirty five to fifty. They don't necessarily have to play a game. It could just be a puck around, but it's for the mental health side and social inclusion that when you finish up, like given it either injury is made you retire early or, you know, work commitments or family, and you're just kind of cast aside. Hmm. Yeah, look, there, there would be something there. I, I'm not sure about the buy-in, you know, um, but you definitely would get some buy-in. Yeah. To what level? I, 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 honestly, I honestly don't know. I know... I know it depends how competitively you played it too. Like I know I had this conversation with Governor Bryan during the during the week. Like and when he's finished, like that's it. Like he doesn't want to see you hurley or, or or and it's not even that. Like I even mentioned to him, you know, about doing things competitively. Like you're you you do enough of it. Like you know, running and things like that. You just I would have no interest in doing anything competitively now. Like. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's mad, like, because you see Liam Carey, of course, you know Liam uh, quite well. Yeah. Liam had a uh, surgery only uh, two years ago or, or three years ago on the hip. He's now doing yeah. marathons and triathlons. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I meet I meet Liam fairly regular up here in Nungarvan still, and yeah, he's he's a fair man, all right, to, to to do all them things, and he trains harder than he ever trained probably as a as a player. You know, with the, with the level of the stuff that he's doing at the moment. It's it's um I think it's I think it comes down to mindset like anything I think you're just yeah yeah if you yeah. if you are that way like whether you're in work yeah. like you said competitive level you just want to always do the best that you could possibly do 
Yeah, yeah. Not a bad thing, but on that on that subject, how do you how do you shut off? Because like I listed earlier, you're constantly on the go with your job, you know, your family, you're building a house, you went back to college, you're coaching Rome more, or sorry, you're managing Rome more, you did a bit of coaching with stars. Like what what's Peter Queeley's downtime? I'd like to say playing golf. I just don't have time to play golf. I will when I. Uh, I I'll be honest. It's it's it, it would have to involve uh, fly, getting on a plane and flying out to the sun, and it takes two two days then to switch off. Like you know, you're on your tour day, and yeah, I'm grand now. I'm I'm switched off. But it would take, it would actually take that long to unwind. Like you know, and put the phone away and not take any notes of it. So, is that trying to say thinking. that your uh, your tan is real and not uh, yeah, it's real, Milos. It is real. Yeah, yeah. I got that from me, Dad. I had to. I had it's to. A get farmer, that it's a farmer's hand. Farmer's hand. I had to get that in. Um, <laughs> like, would you would you read would you read books or anything, or would you listen to podcasts? Because obviously, you have to do a lot of driving between games. And I, I like, I, I have an insight. Um, I was very fortunate back in in twenty thirteen when you joined us that we actually used to go in and out to training together, and uh, we, mm-hmm. we created quite a, a very strong friendship off the field and on the field in both ways, you know, mutual respect. And like, I always thought, Jesus, if I'm having to travel around and like, you're going obviously from Dungarvan area and um, down to Romore and then with Sars to Cork, like you must have a lot of time in the car. Is it radio or is it just, you're trying to think of what's coming ahead in the training session or a match? It's, it's both on the way. It's, uh, it's thinking. And, and uh, even though, <laughs> I shouldn't really say it, but uh, like my my young fella comes with me, and he's a, he's a talker, like, and I'm kind of there to him, like, you know, Richie, Richie, just give us give us ten minutes. I need I need to I need to I need to think. I need to focus here, like, you know, I need to plan and stuff, like, and uh, so yeah, there's no there's no uh, switching off, uh, going fan, come back, yeah, it's just listen to the radio and stuff. On the podcast and that, I'd say during COVID, I got into it. I used to go for walks in the Greenway and stuff, were right beside it there, so and books. Uh, yeah, I read books. Uh, I would have read GA books maybe 20 years ago. I find them a bit um, mundane now at the moment, just kind of repetitive and stuff. I kind of, I, I like to go to other sports. I've read some very good books in other sports. There's a Steve Bylas book there on toughness. Uh, it's a ba- He's a basketball background. I find that book excellent. The, the All Blacks one there that Steve Kerr wrote. Um, yeah. I don't remember the name of it. Um, there's a few other ones Born to Run there's a running one it's a super book as well like you know I have found some nice books uh, in other sports and stuff and I tend to look for something diverse like that now like just to get a different uh, outlook a different viewpoint on things like you know I, I find that helps a bit it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one because someone only said to me recently I was going up to, to cover obviously the Ballygunner Ballyhale game and I went up on my own. I made it a conscious decision to go up on my own. I got the early train in order to go to the Cultural Arts Museum, something I would have never looked at before. I believe I would. You weren't at a Cultural Arts Museum. Was, Who are you trying to talk to? I, I, no joke, no joke. I was up at the Cultural Arts Museum. And, ah, stop, stop me. My, uh, my, my friend said to me before I went up, uh, I, I tell you, Peter, I'm a changed man since 2013. Oh, jeez. Um, and I, I went to the museum. And you went to the zoo, weird. <laughs> no, they wouldn't let me out if I went in there. But uh, I, went, I went to the museum and after, like, I went to the game and I must say when I got home, like, I love sports, don't get me wrong. Um, and, like, I'm keeping an eye on the Man United score just to slag some of the lads in passage. 
and obviously Ireland were playing France as well. But the, the cultural arts was completely out of my comfort zone. It's something like you're on your own. You're aware of what's going on. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. There was no one else in the museum. I had to place myself. I was looking at, and there was a piece on the troubles and all the gear that was used and stuff like that. And Michael Collins, the jacket he was killed in. It was just, it, it, and it goes back to the topic with Joran about books. We sometimes need to just step out of our comfort zones in order to yeah. try to kind of discover ourselves a bit more. Where is that, do you mind me asking? So as you come off the train in, in Houston, it's literally 10 minutes. It's the second stop on the Lewis. And it's completely free. Anyone can go in there. I think I was in there, actually, believe it or not, now that you mentioned. You no, know, I wandered in. I didn't plan to go in there. It was beside <laughs> the court. I got a break in the, the, the four courts there beside it. So Yeah, that's yeah, exactly I do. It's it. a kind of a, you walk around in this square in the buildings there, isn't it? Yeah, it used to be like an old barracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's um, but for any anyone that's in Dublin, you know, especially with, with games coming up in the summer, there's a lot of free tourist attractions like that. And it, it's funny because I would have done the usual thing before. I would have got the trainer, drove up straight to a pub, and then maybe went on to the match. And the pub is is something I want to bring up with you because you mentioned earlier drugs and alcohol. Um, going back mm-hmm. to college, and you said something off off uh, air earlier, and it's something I I asked you. Could we talk about? It? You said no problem. You said, when was you had your first drink? I was about 16, I suppose. And that was your first time Rocky. playing adult? Well, yeah, I would remember uh, playing with Bally Dorn when I was 16. Like, I would have turned 16 that November. And so I would have played a uh, championship with them then the following March, say. And I do remember getting very much involved in the drink culture uh, at that age, even like, you know, and going, going to Carl's Cross afterwards and having the pints and up to Newtown and stuff and having a, a few more pints and that, like, you know, so. And then yeah. when was your last, your last drink? Uh, funny enough, yeah, just tied in with my last game. I, I would have played um, uh, in goal uh, uh, when I was 47 in the county final against Ardmore. We won't mention the scoreline on the air because uh, it was quite <laughs> And I, you know, I would have drowned my sorrows afterwards with all the lads. And for some strange reason, um, that was, I'd say, October, November. That following January, I decided to stop drinking. And I haven't drank since. So that's that's four and a half years ago now. So, And it's something I wasn't conscious of. It's only something I'd say I'd say it was two, a year or two into it and just dawned to me. Wow, I said, you know, I said to myself, like, you know, wow, I said, I... I had my first drink uh, when I played my first game and I had my last green drink, you know, more or less when I played my last game. Like, you know, so I would have drank all through my playing career, like, you know, and it would have been the, the run of the mill kind of stuff. Like, I wouldn't say I, I was overly uh, a big drinker, but I would have binged and that, like, you know, so. And like, obviously we're not, yeah. you know, with, with alcohol or voices or whatever people get up to in their own time is their own business and I, I'm not you know uh, condemning alcohol I, I drank before you know um, I, I don't drink anymore I, I'm sober now in the last coming up to 14 16 months and there is a realization at some stage that you have to look at the GA and I'm not trying to look at it in a negative uh, sense but there seems to be like you said the culture I don't think it's going to be gone in my time but there is a culture alcohol and GA go together yeah, there is yeah look and I'll be honest, I wouldn't like to just tarnish uh, GA either, you know, because it is a societal thing, you know. I My my big thing around alcohol that, that kind of annoys me is is communions. You know, it's communion is all about 
the, the, the drink that goes with it. Like, and you have to remember at the end of the day, like communion is about your seven year old child. Like, you know, why does it have to be all about drink and parties and, and this, like, you know, and that's the one that kind of gets under my skin a bit. But, um, I suppose my thing on on on, on dr- alcohol and drugs is education. And uh, just to give you an example, um, you know, I would I would have learned um, through various uh, different things that alcohol is a depressant. You know, it, it gets you down. Like you know, you have the initial high, but then you get down. So when I lost my my dad and my, my sister in, in two thousand and three, like I I made a conscious decision. Right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink here. Like I'm not gonna go on a mad session because. I'm going to be depressed enough as it is without adding to it. Like, but my point there being like that education, I, I knew from, you know, finding out somewhere along the line that was a depressant. So the, my big thing then is, is education, like is educating people around the dangers of uh, uh, drinking excess alcohol or, or taking drugs and stuff. Like if you can educate people, you know, let them make a, a learned decision then whether they want to go down that road or how, how badly or how, how much they want to drink and, and take take uh, drugs and that. With, with education, I, I find that interesting because, you know, um, I've been an advocate in my own company for the last couple of years and anyone that knows me knows that I'm quite into my philosophy and uh, mindfulness and I do a lot of meditation. And it's purely the reason because I suffer from mental health issues is why I gave up alcohol. Um, you mentioned the depressant. I might go out, say, on a Friday, and that's grand. I could, it might not be a massive session, and I could come home, say, one or two in the morning. I'm depressed for nearly six weeks after alcohol, and it's the reason why mm. I had to, to give it up. I was getting to a stage where I actually had to go seek help. Um, it, it got quite bad, and I hid it all from everyone because at the time there was quite a big mental health um, surge in the area where, unfortunately, with a few accidents, or sorry, a few tragedies. And because of that, mm. I wanted to just hide mine and not tell anybody. And it comes back to education because I was ashamed. And when my grandmother died, I lived with my grandmother for eight years. I didn't know how to deal with that. No one, not that no one should have, but I was never taught how to deal with that. And for years after, um, you know, like I was 16 when she passed away and I had to go, live, go move back in with my mother, which I'd never do, really done, live with my family. And when I hit 18, I just went nuts. I went absolutely crazy. Like anyone, anyone that knows me, like I remember I had to have my 21st, before a couple of weeks before it, you asked me to do it on 2013 just because we're running into championship and that was grand but I went absolutely crazy for like three or four days mm. in the middle of coming into a season where I was actually very fit and I, I was con- in contention and starting games and I was putting all that aside just so I could go out in the piss and it wasn't even that I wanted to go on the piss it was just to try escape from what was going on in my head mm. And I think that's the education point. Like sometimes you said there about the communion piece, and I agree with you. Communion is confirmations, a baptism, anything in this country, open an envelope, turn to alcohol. Mm-hmm. The reason being yeah. is sometimes we see it as a reward and sometimes we see it as an escape. But if we're taught maybe in a younger capacity in, in secondary school, because I think primary school, we, we let, let them develop themselves it's too young of an age. But secondary school, actually teach people instead of, woodwork now there's just skills that need to be taught but religion different things life skills you know when you move out how to use a washing machine and oven how to read your taxes in your oh. your paycheck but the main one how to be aware and recognize that you're okay and when you're not okay and that you don't need substances to get away from it and acknowledge that it is okay mm. 
Yeah, and look, I, I know from the course I've done as well, Milhouse, that uh, they, they are nearly coming to the stage now of promoting going in at uh, even a primary school, you know, because they reckon uh, when they get to secondary school, they've made their mind up to, to take uh, drugs and take alcohol. You know, it's... That's scary now, like. Yeah, I know. It is. It is scary. Uh, but that's what the, 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 the learned people are saying now, is that that's, that's the time that you should nearly... Uh, try and educate them uh, as regards the dangers if they go down that road what, what, what can happen and stuff like or what's what are the side effects the health effects the psychological effects like and look I, I know from liaising with schools on a regular basis now I sat down with the chaplain in, in, in the all public school there last um, Tuesday and we had a good chat and set it, put out a timetable for a second and third years in the school to have a talk to him and the big biggest issue he has and he does a lot of one-to-ones as well like is um, abusing uh, cannabis, you know, and the whole thing is that they come in and they see cannabis as being a harmless enough drug, like, you know, something that they reckon will soon be legalized, which it may be, you know, but that's only for regulation purposes, not for the fact that it's it's harmless or anything like that. The number one drug of abuse in Ireland is uh, alcohol, which is legal, like. So even if they legalize cannabis, you know, it's still going to be uh, an abusive drug that's going to cause huge problems. And again, like uh, there's a kind of a, a even a parental thing around it where, you know, it's, it's deemed as harmless and sure, aren't they using it for medicinal reasons? They are using it, but the, the addictive uh, component in it is taken out of it. Like, you know, it's it's the can- cannabinoid oil. Is, it, it, that's not addictive, like yeah. what cannabis is like. And. You know, it's uh, I if uh, I, I you know the, the the presentation I do to the class is like I the first thing I ask them is to stand up and get involved and uh, who here thinks the cannabis should be legalized and you know it's fairly split like you know and uh, half do half don't and I tell them like well I, I I feel it should you know and I do like I, I honestly feel it should be legalized simply because of uh, regulation you know there, there's more regulation around it than like there's no regulation at the moment like. The example I give to you, Milos, is when you were 16, would you would you drink a bottle of beer not knowing it was either 4% alcohol or 25% alcohol? You would, yeah. You and that's, drink it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but would you have read, drank it back then, knowing? Because that's what's happening with the, with the, can, the cannabis. The cannabis in, in the 80s was harmless, but the cannabis now is way more potent. And that's that's what's causing so many problems. Like, you know, there's no, there's no regulations around it. So... You know, they're, they're taking stuff that they don't realize how important it is because of that. Like, and even some of the harder drugs, like, are being mixed and stuff. And who knows what's been put into it? Like, you know, it's. But that's that's know, the it's other. Good. It's 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 the other side of it, like cocaine and I suppose what's yeah. being called recreational drugs nowadays, the likes of ecstasy, cocaine, speed. Um, no one has a clue. Like the part, the people that are taking them have no idea what's in them. None no. whatsoever. Like. No. Oh. And yet you you'll see people online saying I'm not taking a vaccine or an anti-vaccine, and yet yeah. they will they will take these things off a, a toilet in a nightclub, not knowing yeah. their heart could stop at any minute. It just I don't know how you change that. I think that's a topic for another day. But there there is one thing I want to ask you, and it is a personal question. And if you don't want to chat about it, I completely understand. You mentioned your, your sister and father. Did you have any? Because you you made a conscious decision to be to be sober in a sense after that because you knew that alcohol was a depressant. Like, mm. how how did you try to deal with that, Peter? Because it's like I, I'm just going to say it straight out. That's horrendous, uh, especially two people so close to you. Well, the truth the truth is, I mean, as I didn't deal with it. Like, you know, that's straight up. Like, I did not deal with it. Like, 
you know, I didn't I didn't get the help that I needed. Like I I thought it was tougher than I was. And, you know, it was a case of driving on and carrying on and trying to be, you know, trying to fill maybe my father's shoes and sort things out. And, you know, it was it was a very trying time, like, and it's something that dragged on a, a long time, like in, in our family, like cause I'm not so sure any of us dealt with it too well, like, you know, and um, funny enough, like, uh, I, I remember going to a counsellor probably six months after it. And I had finished up playing at Waterford around the same time my dad passed away, like, you know. Yeah. And I sat down with this counsellor and I spoke for an hour. And it's only now thinking back, I will say years ago thinking back, I kind of spent all that time talking about uh, finishing up at Waterford. You know, and... You know, this is something that I think a lot of intercounty fellas kind of hide. You know how how hard it is to, to to finish up playing and stuff like. And I know from talking to that counselor, he had previous uh, intercounty players in with him like that struggled with retiring. So, you know, I didn't get to deal with you know the grief that I was feeling then. And I know from doing the courses, the psychotherapy, especially like yeah, it could be it could be two years, five years after you lose a, a loved one that you're ready to go down the route of uh, therapy and counselling. And I obviously wasn't ready then. I was dealing with finishing up with the county at that stage. I hadn't even got to the stage of trying to deal with uh, losing my my dad and my sister, like, you know. So I found that interesting, uh, looking back on it. Yeah. But I never went back, you know. I never never got the help that I needed. And even, remember I said I did a psychotherapy course there recently. Um. There's brilliant group therapy in that. You know, as part of it, you have to, like I said, it was heavy going for the year and you had to do a lot of work on yourself. So obviously in that group therapy, this is only 2019 now I did this course. Mm. And like my sister and my my dad had passed away in 2003, so it was 16 years later. So a lot of stuff I brought up in the group, you know, you have to talk in these groups and they're brilliant. Like I, 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 I really promote group therapy to people, like, you know, for, for coming out of your shell and dealing with things and just to support and like-minded people that you're, you're with in the rooms and stuff. And I remember spending two hours talking about going back on that. And, you know, I wouldn't say I got emotional. You know, I, I welled up a bit, like, but I didn't cry. And I thought, Jesus, there's something wrong with me. Everyone seems to cry in these group things, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember getting into the car on half nine that night and I was driving out the, the, the Jack Lynch tunnel there and stuff and I started breathing heavy like you know I was, Jesus what's wrong with me like you know and I got onto the motorway you know and like my breathing got heavier and I was I was actually getting a panic attack like I never got one before I never even knew what it was like on you know yeah. I had to pull in at Middleton I couldn't wait to get off the motorway and actually pull in and get out and get a bit of fresh air I had to ring people, what's wrong with me? And I Googled it and all, like, what's, what's this? And I said, it was a panic attack, like, but it was, uh, that was the first time I got to actually try and deal with it, like, so I was, it was all coming up, like, you know. So it was a build-up of emotion coming at you. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. It was a pure it's... build-up and not not dealing with it previously. And as the, 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 the facilitator said, like, when I spoke to him then the following week, like, it's like a little knot in your stomach, like, and it gets smaller with years, but it's still there. The knot doesn't go away, like, even though it's smaller, so I was trying to unravel that even 16 years later and that unraveling kind of led to the, the panic attack then. 
It's it's mad because I I've done a I finished a book there before Christmas. Dermot Whelan, their presenter with Today FM. He's a oh, mindful, yeah, yeah. yeah he does mindfulness and um, meditation now. But his all sparked from the same thing. He was driving down to do a gig in Kilkenny, and he thought he was dying. Pulled in on the side of the road, rang an ambulance, and he was having a panic attack because he didn't know how to deal with the emotion of feeling pressure that there was going to be nearly two thousand people at his gig. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. And it's mad because, like, your, particularly your career, both sport-wise and work-wise, like, you're built for fight or flight. You know, like, uh, yeah. high-pressure pre- high games, high-pressure situations being the guards. And that's why I asked earlier about the downtime and how does Peter Queeley turn off? Because we're seeing more and more, especially with COVID, you know, the work-life balance has been thrown around a lot. And people are now being the flexible option of being in an office or working from home. And I think more than ever, we're probably more in tune with wellness and and looking after ourselves. And that's why I really want to see, because obviously you are, you won't mind me saying this, you are the generation before social media came in um, with in terms of the inter-county. Like, what, how would you say it is? How dare you say that? <laughs> Come here now, you've been... Oh, you've been I was able to put on that Zoom on my own tonight. Uh, actually, you had to go down to your director of uh, technicality. I thought, no, to start. See, I, I'm no problem oh, bringing you out. Um, no, but the point is, how would you say like a, an inter-county player feels nowadays? Like their whole life is controlled. They can't. Mm-hmm. Not that they. I know we speak about alcohol, but like you're even targeted walking down a street now. Like I'd say, you can't even do your shopping without people coming up to you. Mm-hmm. It is hard. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they deal with it, even because. Even some of the comments on, on on social media and stuff, I like I'm not on it. I make a conscious decision. I even stopped buying newspapers because of the negativity attached to it and around matches and criticism and what have you. Like, but you know, even Richie the odd time would show me, look at this, like, and he bought up something there actually last week, and I was I was appalled by it. It was a page, and it was I don't know, I didn't even ask him what it was, but it was to do deal with the kind of backlash from uh Bally Hale and 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 Bally Gunner like and yeah. it was all it was all critical of Bally Hale. They were a disgrace and they were this and they weren't you know they were no way gracious and saying that's not right like they they were like they they're deflated like but what, what we expect them from them like and you know even things like they were saying there was bad taste and do some bad taste and I was saying that's nonsense like you know and it's just over and analytical and 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 you know I just I. I was appalled with like, and look, that's that's only one. You 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 know yourself. There's thousands of examples of people uh, being cut to shreds on on social media. You know, I mean, you're on about referees getting stick, like, but the, the the level of criticism that uh, is leveled at managers and players these days, uh, you know, from uh, nameless uh, people on, on 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 Twitter and that, like, it's it's wrong. Or, or as we call them in the, the local area, hurlers on the ditch. Look, I've I've experienced it myself. Um, obviously playing you've experienced it from management you do get abuse regardless of of who you are or what you do but I think we just we need to be more mindful nowadays of like recently in recent times we've had a manager come into passage and his attitude with mental health has been absolutely brilliant you know he tells us come into the field switch off this is a place to to be yourself relax and enjoy the time you're here and from my time with you that was something I always gathered as well when you went to the field you know not leave your problems at the door, but this is a place where you're amongst friends, you're amongst people that mm-hmm. you enjoy spending time with. I think we play such a pivotal role, and it's only nowadays we're kind of seeing how big of a role we play in our areas. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, look, it's, 
it's it's not about uh, it's not all about winning. Like it's it's the journey and the enjoyment and the, the comrades that you make. And you know yourself, like they're, they're great places, like uh, dressing rooms and you know the fun that you have in groups and stuff like and the messing and the crack and stuff like it's you know. So when you walk away, it does leave a big void, like you know. And you know, you're we we spoke earlier there about retirement and you know filling that void of playing, like it's. It's feeling that social vibe as well, like you know, yeah. That's the one thing everyone misses, like you know, when when they finish, like is the the crack and the the fun that you have in them groups and stuff, like. And I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm time conscious. I don't want to keep you here all night, but I'm just, I'm looking over a couple of things, and I've really enjoyed chatting to you so far. And one of the things I cannot let go. There's two topics. One we talked about at the start, and you're talking about journey 2013. Talk to me. She sure, look, it was you know, you can throw all the cliches in like Ryder Rover stuff and all that, which it was like, you know, it's, there's no point in saying otherwise. It'll, it'll live forever in the memory. It won't say long in the memory, it'll live forever for, for everyone involved, like, you know, and it's something that we'll always talk about, like, and something that can never be taken away from us, like, you know, and I suppose there's a couple of things that come to mind in relation to it. And, and we spoke about the journey, like, you know, the importance of journey. That was that was an unbelievable journey from start to finish. You know, and I, a couple of things stand out. Like, I, I remember our first or second league game was up in Bayduff, and we played a couple of challenges at this stage. And I obviously wouldn't have known a lot of the, the you know, I'd have known the, 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 the main fellas. You know, I'd have known uh, Thomas and all that. But I wouldn't have known Mark Wise. I wouldn't have known Killian Fitzgerald. I wouldn't have known Pat Welch. You know, I wouldn't have known these guys, how brilliant they were. Like, you know, so... I remember warming up in the school grounds in Ballyduff Upper on a, a mucky day. I know you did. Were you playing the same day? No, it was actually my 21st. You told me I could have the night off. The lads had to come back down from Ballyduff the Saturday night for the 21st. Not good enough, man. Just See, not this, good enough. This is what I'm on about. I had to put my birthday back a couple <laughs> of weeks and you still gave me slack about it. But I remember, I remember warming up and it was a mucky all day. Like, And I just, I remember saying to Liam Carey, you know, we can win this, like, you know, it was still, it was still only April-ish, I think, you know, mm. you know, and just a realisation kind of came over me that day, like, you know, that uh, I haven't spent maybe the previous three months pre-season training and challenges. I just remember saying to him, we can win this. And he, he was 100% in agreement. Yeah, we are, we are good enough to win this, like, and you now we lost the same day and we kind of look <laughs> at each other. <laughs> well, we have a lot of work to do, you know, but, uh, uh, I, I suppose then, and you, you remember this one, like the a big thing was the Modern's tournament. Like that was a no, top was class massive, tournament. massive. You know, not a, not even winning it, but the teams that you're playing and the class opposition and being able to be competitive, but then to actually come out the other side and win it, like was, you know, it was a brilliant find, like against Drum and Inch. With, with the you know, like with with the high respect to the Waterford Championship, it's a tournament obviously that we were involved in 2013. Regardless of the opposition you play in Watford, like every game we played in that Mullins tournament, like you said, the mm. level of opponents we were playing, it was almost like a Champions League format. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And I remember begging them for, for the years after to let us into it, like, you know, and they actually came up a lot against a lot of obstacles afterwards and trying to run off that tournament because, you know, I think Pro Park weren't too happy with it. I can't remember the real reasons behind it now, but, you know, insurance and different things came into because. I think even that year it might have been a 16 team tournament and in the end they, they just it became too difficult and you know it went by the wayside but 
you know, it was just, it was, it was a huge thing to actually to, to win that that year, you know, and it kind of kicked us on and stuff. And I suppose, uh, and I, I've learned this from, 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 from a, a number of championship campaigns, like, you know, you, you do need to suffer a loss, uh, you know, at some stage, like if you can get a, if you can get away with it, like, you know, at the right time. And, and you remember that year, like our last game, we couldn't knock Bally Gunner out, but no. we were qualified and we didn't. And we're kind of well bet in the end, but I just remember gathering the lads, you know, I, I was a Sunday game and, and then Tuesday then we, 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 um, we had a training session and a number of ex-players had been training kind of underage that day and they kind of come up to me, they kind of made a beeline for me, like, and fuck it, they were useless last Sunday, this kind of thing, you know, and I'm kind of there, yeah, yeah, just nodding and listening, like, and at the same time saying, well, they were average, we didn't have to win, like, you know, but, and this fellow was useless, and that fellow was useless, like, you know, and even brilliant hurlers, like, that, you know, he was useless, like, yeah, yeah, I was kind of there, is this for real, like, you know, so, I remember just being kind of fuming, like, and just getting the lads into a circle beforehand, right, and, gather him in the middle of the field and right lads can I ask you something like you know because I know they would have went out for a few pints afterwards in in, in, in passage and yeah. they probably got near for so lads do you get much negativity from, from people like from passage people <laughs> you know so one by one yeah we were cut to shreds and I said that's scandalous like you know that's so wrong like you know all you have here is knockers like I just made a, a, a vow to him, and it, you know we the circle was always synonymous with us, and it was so yeah, important, yeah. like you know, that circle. Like I just got over in the closed ranks. I said that night. I said, lads, from here on, until we win a county final, we are taking no notice of anyone outside this circle. Like you're not to listen to anyone. It was it was a huge learning curve, and it was a huge kind of how would you put it, the penny dropping moment. Like yeah, you know that. It had been it had been affecting lads all years, you know. They had been going to pubs, they've been listening to negativity, like, and it was affecting them, like. I had I I, think like, it's it's madness in, in in like especially a local area because you're going out to do your best, and like I had mm. it be- before you came and the year even you were there, like, and I would still hear comments nowadays, you know, like obviously I'm doing the podcast mm. now and I'm talking about hurling stuff and. But like the 2011, sorry, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, the four years where I was playing senior, I was ripped to shreds after every match in the pub by people in front of me. Every time I went to the pub, even if I was drinking or not, and people would be saying, like, I don't understand how you're playing. Why are you playing? (laughs) And you were there going, I'm giving up my life. I'm training four or five times a week. I'm in the gym. I eat right. And I come into the pub and some fellas tell me, you're not good enough. Yeah. No, it's I such look, a strange mindset. I think the one thing to, to clear up as well, though, Milo, is like it's not it's not just a, a passage either. Like, oh, you know, no, I've it's seen everywhere. It, everywhere. Pub, like, there's a there's a culture there in pubs and stuff, and normally it's from people who 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 you know never play, like you know, and very little knowledge. But you know, it was something that kind of take me back. I think that year because they, you know, the lads have been so good all year up to that match, like, and didn't need to win it, like. And I remember approaching it likewise, because I don't know if you remember, it was a an August festival on the previous week in Passington. Yeah. You know, I thought the lads go down and enjoy themselves, like, you know, why not? They'd been they qualified, like, you know, they they were entitled to let their hair down. So, you know, that, our approach wasn't exactly uh, top class going into the the, the Ballygunner match, like, you know, so. But it, that's the, 
But it's it's the point you made. It doesn't have to be because we're already qualified. Like again, it comes yeah. back to like I have this this ethos on GA, like training matches, challenge matches, league matches, and say you're playing Romar playing Ballygunner this weekend, and Ballygunner their second team out, and Romar will go out their full strongest team to try beat Ballygunner. There's ten minutes left. There's two points in it. You maybe have nine lads on the line who are currently busting, you know, their arse to get a position on the team and no subs are made because you're trying to win the match. It's a league mm. match or else it's a challenge match or a training match. Their exercise, the point of them exercise is to try other things and try other people, try different systems, try different formations, move people around. We're so caught up in the GA with winning, it's crazy. Yeah, and so look, we mentioned about the underage and where do you think all the... Problems are coming at underage with uh, with parents and and officials or not officials, uh, team management abuse and referees like because they're so caught up on the result like you know that's that's where the abuse of referees comes at underage like you know. And, but it shows it shows when you, you said about you let the you let us let, have our hair down before the Ballygunner game and I remember as well of course when we bet now and sign we went back to the village that night and we kind of had a lock in now we didn't have a lock in in the sense that we were in the pub all night. You told us to just stay in passage, all the group into one or two of the pubs, and we did. And again, like even recently, and I'm not saying the current passage setup, but even recent years gone by, and other teams drinking ban, uh, socialising ban, don't go like Killian Fitzgerald is famous for going play golf. Killian, you're not allowed to play golf. Stay away from this. John Whitty, don't play soccer. Like. You have to have the balance, and you've shown that in 2013 with your approach in terms of we already qualified, didn't need to beat Ballygunner. Uh, yeah. you, let us, you let us go out after the semi-final in a sense. We all stayed together. No one went on a mad session. We maybe had four or five points. We really enjoyed it because this is the thing I was talking about Ballygunner recently. People are saying Ballygunner will be back training soon. They don't need to go back training. They, they've been working for this for five to eight years. Let them enjoy it. Whether it's drink or they go off on a holiday or do... Like we're we're so caught up in winning, and then when we win, it's like right. When are the lads back? Let's get going again. Like where where do you live in the moment? Yeah, look, you you kind of as you mentioned there, balance was a key thing, and even you mentioned John Whitty there. Like I remember, it would have got a lot of stick, it would have got a lot of flack in um, I won't say passage, but well, maybe behind my back, I might have got a bit. But <laughs> definitely in Park Rangers, there was a lot of phone calls my direction when. If you remember, Park Rangers had a big league game that Saturday before we played Abbeyside in the first game. And yeah, yeah. we had about five, six lads that were Moria playing fucking soccer at the time, like, you know. But, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't play the soccer because I went and played the hurling. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I gave John, I allowed John to play that. You know, John played that day because John, John came from a soccer background. Yeah. You know, and John, John played for us then the following day, but I didn't allow anyone else because they weren't soccer players. They were... They played in the off season to get fit, like so. I didn't allow him, so but I allowed John to play, like because yeah. that was nearly John's number one game, like. But John still started for us against Abbeyside. If you remember, we started horribly that day, like. But John got a ball on the Abbeyside twenty-one. We're about five points down. He sold the whole length of the field and kicked it into the top corner. It's actually and on YouTube. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it, it, it's actually, it's brilliant. It's on YouTube. I remember the day I was playing corner forward. And I, now, John won't mind me saying this. John's striking back then was horrendous. So I was delighted he kicked the ball, to be honest. Because he was much better at kicking yeah. the ball than he was hitting with a hurling. That was a brilliant goal, yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. But 21, he kicked it into the top corner. Yeah. 
He just he had some pace to hit. that year before he got the bad injury. He was he was just some athlete. He had some speed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Go, going back on that journey, and I remember during the year we'd done a couple of different things together, and it's something you always emphasize when you're over passage and it's always about a group being together and doing different activities and they weren't necessarily drinking our case um yeah. you know we, we went up a, we done a, a walk on a mountain and we had a really nice chat when we got up there and it's the time that the, the village was going through a tragedy and it just mm. it for me it really brings it back into to focus about you like i, I like i said i know you about nine years now and like, I, I don't have a bad word to say to you. And I, I remember one incident in particular. We were going to play, I don't know if you recall, we are going to play Abbeyside, actually, the, the game you're on about. And mm. you you started Pa Welch ahead of me. And you had to tell me going out in the car beforehand, before we even got to training, that I was dropped. Because I would have played two weeks before that against Drummond Inch in the, the Mollerans final. And you had mm. to tell me. And I remember thinking to myself, in the car, I can react two ways. I can tell you F and blind, or else I can go the way that we should go. And I said, you know, it's about the team and get the result. But for me, that summed up you in that sense, because you had a friendship with me and we got on really good with great crack off the field. But the minute I stepped out in the field, I was just one of the lads then. There was no treatment. There was no, and I don't mean treatment as in you would have started me, just in like how you'd approached or dealt with it. Like you just said, Look, I'm going to tell you before you go out, just so you know, you're not going to be starting. And I was like, the fact that you told me beforehand and you had the respect and also you had not the courage, but it could have gone south. Like I could have shouted and bawled and kicked up a fuss and train and then like, mm-hmm. but like it, it sums up you. And I remember the first meeting we had with you. I think your first meeting with us was in either late December, or early January. And I, I mm-hmm. and the lads know this for a fact. And, you know, we were on the key after a couple of us in cars down in Passage, because that's the famous meeting ground. And uh, we were down on the quay, and Mitchell Baller turned around and said, lads, we're, we're going to win the fucking senior. That was one one meeting we had with you. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the effect, because you've brought Abby side, you've brought Roe Moore, you've brought ourselves. Um, of course, you had uh, success with you all. Like, you just have this thing where people buy into what you do. It must be great for yourself knowing, like, it's, it's a serious attribute to have in, in life. A lot depends on the group too, I mean, I was, you know, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I and and they were great groups, like the, the groups you mentioned, like the Abbey sides, the Romores, the Passage, like you know. But I can remember, funny enough, uh, I spent a year with uh, a Kilkenny team, okay, and our first challenge that year was up in Carrigonore against uh, Romore, and. You know my style, and I, I'm big into the, the 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 circle and you know the camaraderie and what have you like. Mm. And we beat Romore that day. We beat him well, and afterwards Romore got into a huddle, and they were talking. And whoever was over him could have been Philip was over him that year, and he was having a chat with him. And one of the lads from the team that I was with came over and said, "Look at them fellas." With their hands around each other. Do you ever see the bait of that before? Like, you know. <laughs> and I said, Oh Jesus, I'm gonna struggle. <laughs> like, <you> know, this, <laughs> this isn't the place for me. <laughs> so there went my whole philosophy anyway, getting people like, into hiding and getting a tight group and stuff, you know. So and um, I just look, I 
you know, it, was, it wasn't a good year for me. It, it wasn't a success. I wasn't able to do, you know, a lot of stuff that I that I like to do, like, you know. and mm. So it, it doesn't work for everyone. Like, you know, I was just lucky with the groups that I had to do. Yeah. It's a, uh, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I suppose on a positive note, what's the, the, the aim or the goal? Because you said you, you, you do one-to-one with players and different people. What's Peter Queeley's goal for 2022? I'd like to be successful with with Romore again, you know. I, we we actually had a meeting and we spoke about it, and you know, we we I won't say we set targets, but we would love to repeat some of the, the the victories we had. Like you know, it's winning titles is one thing, like, but experiencing the euphoria that we did, you know, you're kind of you're kind of chasing the high, like. It was euphoric the the win we had against Lismore this year. You know, it was a it was a monkey off their back. They've been they've been beaten in five out of six quarter finals. I know from talking one to ones with their senior players, like it was really something that they felt a lot of pressure trying to get over. Like you know, and to actually achieve that in the manner in which we did, like you know yourself, there's wins and there's you know there's the 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 the, the one point wins where you get you know like Bally Gunner experienced last week, like you know the. They're different, like they're a different level of euphoria, like, yeah. You know, and we we followed that up with another huge win where we're massive underdogs against uh, high flying Dungarvan, you know, and we're able to put back to back euphoric wins, like, and you know, if we could uh, experience that, you know, get to knockout stages and, and get a, a couple of wins like that again, you know, that's 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 what we're chasing, like, that's what that's what we that's what we want, like, yeah. Um, you know, and. I like the coaching, you know, I, I must say you're, you're on about time and the time you put into things and how do you have time for that and else? A lot, a lot of time goes into management, a lot of time. With the coaching with, with uh, Sarsfields, it's just turn up on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday night and I, I like that, you know, it's just from a time perspective, like, and, you know, to, to spend more time doing things, downtime and stuff, maybe in a few years' time, uh, maybe just step away from the management and just uh, do a bit of coaching and stuff like you know. So uh, we we'll see how that goes. Probably need to have a bit of success with Sarah's to kind of promote that end of things. Yeah, well, look, it's it's been a, an absolute pleasure um, talking to you on this week's uh, episode of I Love My Club by, which is will be available on all of our social media channels. You can find us at Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify at I Love My Club by. Um, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope you've uh, enjoyed the time and you've given us a great insight into your own personal life and plus uh, also your kind of your sport and career. And uh, I wish you the best of luck for 2022. Thanks very much, Milos. Enjoy that too. Cheers, bye. Wherever you're listening, whether it be Ballyduff or Ballygunner, Passage or Port Law, Dungarvan or Dunhill, tune in to I Love My Club by the podcast that brings you closer to Camogie and Hurling in the Waterford club scene. Don't forget, Hurling is our passion.